Well, hey, everybody, welcome to you. Go ahead and uh, make your way back to your seat. And greetings to you this day. It's uh, great to see you. Uh, if you're new around here, my name is Steve, and uh, I actually have the privilege of serving this congregation as lead pastor, but I've been away for a while, and so if I don't look familiar to you, I just wanted you to know my name. And uh, I've been on a summer study break, which our elders uh, permit me every summer, which I always love, kind of gets my tanks filled back up again. But I, we're back, and uh, I'm excited to be here and to know that God is working among us, and He's working in my life, and uh, thrilled to know that He's going to be doing some amazing things through us as well. Uh, just a quick note, today is my wife's birthday, Shirley's birthday, and so if she... If you have babies, when you pick up your babies at the end, just make a big deal of that. I think it's 35 or so that she, where she's at. So. Shirley and I did do some traveling um, and vacationing over my break. Although what we did really pales in comparison to that uh, grand excursion that Jay and Janet and the team took to Israel. And uh, we got to see the slides last weekend and just kind of made me want to go. We've never been there, but uh, to walk where Jesus walked is something that just would be wonderful. And so uh, very excited about that. I love seeing their slides, didn't you? Yeah, it was great and made me want to go even more. Speaking of slides, I got a few of my own from our little excursion uh, up to New England. Just a few real quick. This is not the sermon. Um, Shirley and I had planned to attend this big uh, worship and prayer event on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., and uh, we did that, but it was so blazing hot. Listen, I've been to Africa, I've been to India, I've been to Costa Rica, I've been to Houston, Texas in the summertime, but none of those compared to people were dropping like flies all around us, and right in the middle of the event, they just had to cancel it. They had to say, our medical tents are full, and we're just, it's over, and so uh, we enjoyed it while it lasted and uh, ended up salvaging that evening by taking a sunset tour of all the D.C. monuments on one of those double-decker buses, which was great. It was kind of funny because our tour guide was doing a great job and telling us about all the monuments, and every, every once in a while she'd say, Branch! And we'd all duck, you know, because <laughs> you've been on the top of those things, you know. <laughs> so that made it kind of uh, interesting. Well, we left from there. We went up to New England and made our way kind of up the coastline in New England, staying with some of our church friends up there. My wife loves lighthouses. I know some of you do as well. We've been planning this for a while. So this is our lighthouse tour. We did a really cool uh, boat tour of a bunch of lighthouses up off the Connecticut coastline. <laughs> There's me photobombing the lighthouse. Um, but just enjoyed that immensely. We got to see Taylor Swift's mansion up there off the coast of Rhode Island. Uh, we went up to Rhode Island to um, Pawtucket and to Newport, which, by the way, is where the Tennis Hall of Fame was. So, of course, I had to stop in for a few hours and check that out. And uh, from there up to up the tip of Cape Cod. And we got to take a sailing cruise at sunset uh, off the, the coast there. It was just spectacular. You know, God's creation is just uh, unparalleled. And we had a great time. Uh, doing that, and after that, we made a severe error in judgment and went to Boston. <laughs> Have you been to Boston? I mean, the traffic is atrocious. It's horrible. And uh, we did this little swan boat tour in the middle of Boston. It took us two hours to get from the center of Boston just to the Beltway, and that pretty much did us in. So we said, we're heading home, and we actually took the northern route through Niagara Falls, which is one of my wife's favorite places. Had a great time there. Got soaked on May to the Mist. But it was so hot, we enjoyed every minute of it. 
And so uh, then we made it back home. We're glad to be back. So enough of that, enough of our travelogue. But I uh, thought maybe some of you might be interested to know what we did. Well, my, my study break every year is always interesting. Uh, last year, I set up and went to a couple of counseling sessions, actually. I wanted to find out how messed up I was after 30 years of ministry and 32 years of marriage. And the verdict? Yep, I'm messed up. <laughs> But uh, Jesus loves me anyway, every day, by his grace, and I'm thankful for that. This year, I knew I needed help just thinking about this church, New Life, as a multi-site church and feeling led by the Lord to add another campus, hopefully in the next year or so. And so I set up a meeting with a ministry coach. Did you know there are people like that? These specialists in the body of Christ that help guys like me. And so it's a great benefit to hash that through in a day with uh, a gentleman that I know and trust. He prayed for me, prayed for us, and uh, I just feel I benefited greatly from that and got a lot clearer on some things. Apart from that, I basically went into my study break this year saying, Lord, I'm wide open. (laughs) I am wide open to you. Take me wherever you want me to go. I want your agenda, not mine. I'm 55 now. I want my remaining days to count for the things that, that matter. I want my heart to beat in sync, Lord, with, with your heart. So these days are yours. Map them out for me however you want. And where he led me was very interesting. I'd say if there was a one-word theme for my study break this year, I would say it would be the word deeper. Deeper. But like the Lord was saying to me, go deeper, Steve. Go deeper with me. There's way more to me than you've experienced so far, that you, that you understand. I'm an ocean. You know, you've been paddling around in the shallow, and I'm an ocean awaiting to be explored and discovered. Go deeper with me. And go deeper in understanding yourself and how I've wired you and put you together and why I still have you doing ministry in my beloved church. And go deeper with my people whom I love. Go deeper with them. Go deeper in personal relationships. Go deeper in mentoring and and in being mentored. There's more. There's more there, he was saying to me. More than you've experienced so far. And so those are the three rails I tried to run down during my study break in my reading and studying of God's Word, my listening to different podcasts and meditating and reflecting. And after a month of, of seeking to go deeper with the Lord and doing some thinking about those things. I want to proclaim a couple of things in your hearing today. First is this church has one true leader, and it's not me. Still Jesus. The church belongs to him. You know, think about it. He is more vested in the church and the health and growth of his church than I am, than you are, than any of us is. We think, well, we've got skin in the game. He's got blood in the game. He purchased the church, redeeming a people for himself at the cost of his own life's blood. And so the church belongs to Jesus, and he is the head of the church. Yes, he calls and appoints human leaders to guide each of his churches, but but those human leaders are flawed, all of them, every single last one of them. And so their primary job, job is to seek to be led by him by the only perfect, pure, unflawed head of the church. 
Second thing I want to just proclaim in your hearing is this, is that, man, these times in which we live call for deep people. Don't you think? I'm talking depth. If we would stay steady in our devotion to Christ, if we would hold fast to Jesus in a culture that's going the opposite direction, away from Him, we need to go deeper. If we would stay fastened down and bolted down and strong and steady in tempestuous times, we need to go deeper. If we want our light to shine brightly to show other people the way to everlasting life, we need a, a deeper walk with the Lord. The days of skimming and coasting and just getting by and playing games need to end, brothers and sisters. They need to end. There's too much at stake. It's like C.S. Lewis famously said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, it's of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important, and I agree. It's time to be all in. For several months, a little phrase was rattling around in my brain, and it just didn't go away. Especially when I would turn on the news at night, and, and there it was again, another terrorist attack. It seemed like every day our world was becoming unraveled more and more. As I thought about it, this phrase seemed even more appropriate, more timely, more needed. It's from the Bible. Something about it just seemed fitting for us as we navigate these perilous times in which we live. And the phrase is this, rooted and grounded. Rooted and grounded. Would you say that with me? Rooted and grounded. Something about that phrase just resonates with me, maybe because it lines up with that deepening theme of my study break. Rooted and grounded. Describes what I want to be, what my family, what I want my family to be. It describes what I would hope for each of you in this body of believers here, my brothers and sisters. It describes what I would hope for in the lives of the people in our community that we live among and work with and play with. Rooted and grounded. It's just got some meat to it, doesn't it? Some, some stability to it. Well, I should have already known where it was in the Bible, but I admit I actually had to look it up. And then I remembered, oh yeah, it's part of a prayer, a written out prayer offered up by the great Paul, the apostle, written to believers in the church in that ancient city of Ephesus. And so if you have a Bible or a device and a Bible app, you can go to Ephesians chapter 3. If you haven't pulled the study notes out of your uh, worship folder, you can do that as well. Let's take a look at this. Listen as I read this prayer, Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14. Paul wrote this, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. That's a posture of what? Prayer. Humility, reverence, submission, prayer. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. We all get our identity from our Creator. And here's the prayer, that according to the riches of His glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ 
that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Rooted and grounded. So I decided to borrow from Paul and use that phrase as the title for this new series of sermons. And my hope and prayer is that each of you is going to be deepened through it. Rooted and grounded. These two words speak of firmness and and rock-solid stability, don't they? Rooted and grounded. And we all want that, and our, our Lord wants it for us as well. And look and see that Paul prays that believers will be rooted and grounded in what? Here, it's in love. And it's pretty obvious from the context, it's not our love. We're not rooted and grounded in our love. It's, verse 19, it's God's love. It's Christ's love for us that he's talking about. And so God's unconditional, immense love for his people is the soil and the bedrock of a life that is strong and will endure and withstand the storms of life and remain firm. And so today I want us to consider what it might look like and what it might feel like and what impact it might have if you and I were more deeply rooted and grounded in the love of God. Now, Paul was a rooted and grounded fellow, wouldn't you agree? And this prayer is not your standard garden variety prayer, is it? It's got some depth to it. It's it's meaty. It comes from the heart of a deep man who'd walked with the Lord for many years. And as a result, he knew the heart of the Lord and he lived his life before the Lord and he brought everything to God in prayer. I know it might sound simplistic, but if you want to grow deeper as a Christian... Pray more. Come before the Lord more in prayer. Pray more often. Pray about more things. Pray more fervently. Deep people pray. It's like breathing to them. It's just their response, their natural response to the atmosphere all around them. Everything they see, everything they experience is to bring it to God. They learn to bring everything in their lives to the Lord. Decisions, big decisions, small ones needs, emotions, relationships. They turn their worries into prayer. They turn their heartaches into prayer. When things are going well, when they get a promotion at work or when they get a raise or when their kids get straight A's on the report card or their daughter graduates from college, they turn those occasions into occasions for praise. They live their lives before the Lord. And they pray for people the people in their lives, just like Paul does here. Praying is a means of grace that the Lord uses to influence and change the lives of other people and deepen us at the same time. We become increasingly rooted and grounded in his love when we draw near to God in prayer. So when I look at this prayer of Paul, I see five specific requests in this prayer, and and all of them are spiritual in nature. This is a prayer for God's people to more fully experience the incredible spiritual privileges that they have just by virtue of being in Christ. It's a deeply spiritual prayer, for sure. Now we know there's nothing wrong with praying for people, with praying for physical healing. We do that here. There's nothing wrong with praying for people's material needs, that God would meet their needs, or if they're out of a job, that God would provide them with employment. Nothing wrong with any of that, but I think as we deepen in the Lord, our prayers are going to change, don't you? 
the focus of our prayers is going to change. Look at what Paul was asking God for on behalf of these Ephesian believers. He was praying first that they would be spiritually enriched by their Father's glory. And then that they would be spiritually empowered with God's inner strength. He was praying third that they would be spiritually enabled to be a comfortable home for Jesus. That Christ might, may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that has the idea of Jesus settling down and feeling at home among us. Imagine Jesus walking into the house and sitting down on the couch and kicking his feet up and saying, yeah, I really like it here. I feel at home. I feel comfortable here. That's the idea. Jesus at home among his people. Fourth petition is that God would spiritually empower his people to grasp God's expansive love for them. And then the fifth petition is that they would be experienced in being filled up with God, with all the fullness of God. Deep stuff. You know, deep people pray deep prayers. Did you know that? Deep people pray deep prayers. Spiritual prayers flow from the heart and the lips of spiritual people. And I'm not saying we should go around trying to fake it, trying to pray in such a way that people think we're spiritual. I'm just saying we should learn from a deep man here. This prayer is in the Bible because it's the kind of prayer God loves. It's, it's on the wavelength that God is on. Because of that, it's the kind of prayer he loves to answer. You've heard about the, prayer, the power of prayers prayed in alignment with the will of God, in accordance with the will of God. Well, here is one. Here's a prayer like that. It's God's will. And I don't plan on mining all the treasure that's in this treasure chest today, but I want us to dig into that fourth one. Let me read it again. Verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength, take strength, to comprehend with all the saints. So this is something we do in community. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now you know that words are important. And, and words were important to the writers of the Bible. And Paul chose these two terms, rooted and grounded, to convey some very specific ideas. So let's think about that for a minute. First, the word rooted. Rooted. And that's a rare word in the New Testament. The original word is only used two times. And obviously, it's a metaphor. And it comes from the world of agriculture, right? The plant world. It pictures God's people as trees, with their roots sinking deep down into the soil. And when I realized that, my mind went immediately to Psalm 1, which pictures this even more clearly. Listen to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way or in the pathway of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. So here's the picture of a person who is rooted. You see that? He delights in meditating on the truth of God's word instead of filling his mind with the opinions of people who are walking away from the Lord. 
This person is said to be like a a strong and healthy tree that sunk its roots down deep into the ground and draws nourishment and sustenance and refreshment from the soil and from the creek that's nearby. As a result, it can be counted on to produce fruit every season, year in, year out. It has longevity and durability. Well-rooted, this tree is. And then my mind went to the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament when he spoke about some people who are not rooted. Remember this from his parable of the soils where he talked about the farmer going out sowing seed on different kinds of soil in Matthew 13, 5. It says, Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Jesus gave his interpretation of this a few moments later in verse 20 of Matthew 13. And he said this, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately falls away. So unlike the sturdy, consistent, reliable, fruitful person of Psalm 1, this is a person here who looks vibrant and looks strong at first, but when things get tough, when the heat is on, the heat of ridicule, of being ridiculed for being a Christian, the heat of just tough, difficult circumstances, the heat of disapproval or or family rejection, when that comes, this one just kind of shrivels up and withers and dies. His faith wasn't deeply rooted. Instead of being solid and steadfast and reliable and consistent, this one falls away from Christ and away from Christ's community until one day someone notices and says, Hey, whatever happened to Jack? Man, he started out so good, didn't he? I mean, he was in the Word and he was part of a small group connecting there. He was serving the Lord in a ministry. Where, what happened? Where is he? He didn't endure for the long haul. He didn't run the marathon. The reason? He had no root in himself. He wasn't rooted. So when we talk about being rooted in the ground, we're talking about important stuff here. Whether Whether or not a person is rooted matters for their life, their relationships, their faith, their future, their eternity. And did you notice that in both of these scriptures, Psalm 1 and in Matthew, that a person's rootedness is connected to the Word of God. Did you notice that? In Psalm 1, the blessed and rooted person is delighting in the law of God and meditating on it day and night. In contrast, the barren and rootless person of Matthew 13, it says, here's the Word, immediately receives it with joy at first, but the inference is that he doesn't continue to draw life-giving sustenance from it And so he dries up and withers and dies. In 30 plus now years of pastoral ministry, I've seen this again and again and again. The ones who endure with Christ for the long haul, through good seasons and prosperous seasons and through difficult and tough seasons, are the ones who make a habit of being in the Word. Often. 
They know it's their daily bread. They know that apart from being in the Word, they start to come unraveled. Next week, I'll tell you a little story about me on my vacation where I wasn't in the Word and started to come unraveled a little bit. So, confession time. Next week, come back to hear that. Rooted and grounded people know from experience they must be in the Word. It's their life. It's their nourishment. They're rooted in God's love because they're rooted in God's Word. God's Word reminds them daily of His mercy towards them. Paul prayed that the Ephesian believers would be rooted like that, healthy, sturdy, consistent, fruitful, reliable, and I pray that for you. You would be rooted, rooted. That first metaphor is from the, the world of agriculture. Then the next metaphor he uses is from the world of construction. Rooted and grounded. Grounded. Now this word in the original is, is also quite rare. It's used only six times in the New Testament. It has the idea of something that's, that's built and it's sturdy because it was built on a solid foundation. To be a grounded person means that you have a solid foundation for your life such that you can withstand the storms, the inevitable storms that are going to blow into your life and you won't collapse. And yes, this is the word Jesus himself used in Matthew 7 when he told the parable of the two builders. You remember that? The wise builder and the foolish builder, two men who each constructed their homes on two very different foundations. And when the storms blew in, It says that the one founded on the rock, that's the word, grounded. The one founded on the rock did not fall, but survived, while the other home built on sand was blown away in the monsoon because it was not properly grounded. Rooted and grounded. I'm thinking of people I know in this church, some in this room, who still cling to Jesus, who still love his word and who still love his church, even though their world got rocked. In fact, they're deeper now. They're deeper people now than they were before the multiple miscarriages, before the unexpected job loss, before the huge financial setback, before the death of a child. At dinner Friday night with a man who said, I just lost my son. My 25-year-old son was killed in a car accident a month ago. I said, oh my, how are you holding up? He said, if it weren't for my faith in Jesus Christ, I I would just be done. That's what's sustaining me. Stronger. The end of a marriage, a debilitating illness, These people have been tested and they're stronger now. Their faith stood firm. How can that be? The only plausible explanation is that they were well-grounded. They built their lives not on shifting sand, but on a foundation of granite. I told you we were just up in New England. And on my break, I read about a young missionary named David Brainerd. Have you heard of him? Who ministered up there in that region up in New England. He loved and served and 
preached the gospel to the Native American Indians who lived in New Jersey and up in that area. God used David Brainerd to kindle an amazing awakening in that people group that ended up sparking um, a movement, a missionary movement in the late 1700s. But unfortunately, David Brainerd, as a young man, contracted tuberculosis. It ended up claiming his life before he even reached the age of 30. And many times in church on Sundays with his audience of 50 or 70 Native American Indians there, his sermons would be punctuated by these bouts of severe coughing where he would begin to cough up blood. And the people in his audience were wondering, I don't even know if he's going to make it through this sermon, much less make it even through the day. David Brainerd had good reason, you might think, to be shaken in his faith and to grow bitter at God and to think, I'm, I'm a missionary. I'm one of your missionaries for crying out loud. I'm sacrificing up here in the, in the Northeast to serve these people. Why won't you heal me, God? But that didn't happen because he was a rooted and grounded man. Even in his 20s, just months before he died, he wrote to a young ministry student this, Young man, give yourself to prayer, to reading and meditating on divine truths. Strive to penetrate to the bottom of them and never be content with the superficial knowledge of the Son of God. Does that sound like a man who's about ready to cash out? One week before he died, Brainerd wrote this in his journal. This day, my soul is sweetly set on God. I long to be with him that I might behold his glory. I feel today sweetly disposed to commit all of myself to him. Oh, that his kingdom might come in this world and that all the people might love and glorify God for what he is in himself. I'm telling you, that's a deep young man. That's a deep young man, rooted and grounded, enduring, strong, sturdy, solid. Some people are like that. Do you know anybody like that? Rooted and grounded? You know, we need people like that to look up to in our lives, don't we? We need flesh and blood examples, models that we can look to, that we can imitate. Models of strength, inner strength and endurance. And I just think in this culture, we need more men. More men who are rooted and grounded. We've got a whole generation of boys being raised up who, who haven't seen a lot of good models of this. It's taking its toll on the world, on the culture, and in the church as well. Some of us just need some new heroes. People we look up to and admire. I mean, who is on your top ten list of most admired people? Is it self-absorbed entertainers? Or is it someone like David Brainerd? Rooted and grounded, deep. As I said, I believe we do have people like that here in this church. And here's my observation, is that most of those that I would put in that category of rooted and grounded have been walking with Christ for many years. And life hasn't been easy for them. Their stubborn endurance has been forged through much adversity in their lives. In my experience, younger David Brainerd types are very rare. The vast majority of people I would call rooted and grounded aren't in their 20s or 30s. There are exceptions, but 
The truth is that massive oak trees don't reach maturity in a few years. It takes decades of adding rings of growth of maturity. Historic cathedrals weren't built in short order. They they took decades to construct. And grounded saints are usually those who have endured many rounds of testing and have walked with their precious Lord for decades and marinated their minds in His Word for years and years and years. And that's something I would challenge those of you who are millennials. You're in that generation or you are Gen Xers to consider because those are the 40-somethings that you might want to seek out for mentoring or the 50-somethings or the 60-somethings or the 70-somethings or the 80-somethings. And in this church, we have all six generations that are alive right now. In this church, that's pretty unique. And if you're in the younger end of that scale, I, I would challenge you to seek out mentorship from someone who's ahead of you, has more rings of growth in their life than you have. And they're all around you. Oh, what benefit could come into your life from gleaning from the wisdom of those who are ahead of you in this thing? Who have experience. But notice again that Paul's prayer is for believers to be rooted and grounded in love. And that is God's love. And he pleads in this prayer with the Lord to enable his people to grasp at least a little bit the largeness of God's love for them, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And you can tell Paul was trying hard to convey the immensity of God's love, but he seemed to be bumping up against the limits of language here. He prayed that these Christians would somehow be given given the ability to Know the unknowable love of God to comprehend the incomprehensible reaches of His compassion that can't be fully grasped in our present condition. He describes God's love as pushing out in all directions, multidimensional. Do you see it? God's love is expansive. And so let's just take a moment and ask, how broad is God's love? How broad is it? Well, if we confine our our discussion to the book of Ephesians, to this book, earlier in Ephesians, Paul tells us that God's love is so broad that it reached out to both ends of of the spectrum to bring together two groups of people who were so different and so far apart that they hated each other. Who are we talking about? Jews and Gentiles, right? They despised each other. They were at polar opposite ends of the relationship scale, but in Ephesians 2, Paul says that God's love reaches out to both of them and seeks to bring them together in unity in Christ, demolishing that dividing wall of hostility that had stood between them for centuries. You see, God's love is broader than our love. It's more indiscriminate than our love. In fact, I would say this, God loves the people that you may hate. And honestly, as I've thought about this in light of our current global situation and in this country being captivated by the love of God is the only hope I believe for any unity to come out of the vast divisiveness that's in our country right now I mean what's going to bring these disparate groups together in unity I think only the love of God only in Christ can that really happen 
see our Lord loves young people, millennials, and older folks, the builder generation. Our Lord loves Republicans and Democrats and independents. He loves black people and white people. He loves heterosexual people and homosexual people. He loves radical Muslim terrorists and gun-toting, flag-waving patriots. All lives matter to God. All lives matter to God. Now, no one should say that God approves of all the activity that goes on with all those groups. No one should say that. He surely does not. But his compassionate heart reaches way out to the outer extremities, to people at both ends of any spectrum you might want to select. Generational, political, economic, ideological, racial. Jesus is a savior for all people. For all people. It does us good to ponder the incredible breadth of the love of God. How about the length of God's love? Paul says that they may be able to comprehend the length of it. Well, if you think of length in terms of duration, Ephesians 1 tells us that God chose people in love back before the foundation of the world. And Ephesians 3 tells us that he, his love prompts him to continue loving those same folks all the way into eternity, into the ages of the ages, it says. That's a long time to love the same group of people. Some of us struggle to love the same person and be faithful to them for a month or six months or a year. God loves people forever. That's lengthy love. How high is God's love, let's ask? How high is that, is that dimension? Paul told his readers that God's love has lifted them up into the stratosphere and seated them with Christ in heavenly places. That's some serious elevation. And how deep is God's love? We sing that song, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. How deep is it? Think about that. Think about your own life. Think about God reaching down into the pit and plucking you up out of the pit of sin and wickedness and despair and setting your feet on a solid rock and putting a new song in your heart. That's some deep love. Willing to reach down that far to save sinners such as you and me. And this is good, isn't it? Just to contemplate God's love for us. Of course, the ultimate measure of God's love for us was shown in sending His Son all the way from eternity to here to sacrifice himself for our sins. What kind of love is that? What kind of foreign, otherworldly love is that agape love of God that he has for us? That he would do that? And when I thought about that, I can still hear the refrains from my old youth group when they would sing this song. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. You see, church, this is what grounds us. This is the solid foundation His Word tells us about upon which a strong life is built. The unstoppable, relentless, love of God for his people. This is what roots us and gives us stability in the storms of life and steadiness throughout the seasons of life, a firm grasp of God's unconditional, no strings attached, set his love upon us, love. Proven 
validated, verified on Calvary's hill. Well, we've only just begun. We'll explore this theme more uh, next weekend. It's really a treasure trove of truth that's inexhaustible. There's so much more here. When you walked in, you probably noted, oh, it looks like we're going to have communion today. And we are in just a, a moment. But before we enter into that time of commemorating Jesus' sacrifice, I want to offer you four challenges, if I may, to think about and consider for your own life. I'm just going to mention them briefly right now, just kind of plant the seeds. We'll talk more about them in upcoming weeks. There are really four paths for growing deeper in your walk with Jesus. Four ways to become more deeply rooted and grounded in Him. Really, they are four great privileges of being in Christ. Here they are. Draw near, draw deep, draw close, and draw in. Draw near. I'm talking about drawing near to God. And you might want to just pencil the word in prayer. Draw near to God in prayer. That's how you grow deep. We're going to do a whole series on prayer beginning in September. We're going to go deeper together in prayer. I have the privilege of hosting a prayer meeting uh, second Saturday of every month in the prayer chapel back here. It's coming up this next Saturday from 8 to 9.15 a.m. with some people who know how to pray. And if you want to learn how to pray, you learn how to pray by praying with people who know how to pray. And we've got some in this church, and I invite you to join us. Drawing near to God in prayer. Second, drawing deep. Drawing deep from the well of God's Word. And you could just write in the word Bible next to that. We deepen by drawing deeply from the truth of the Word of God. Third, draw close. And by that I mean drawing closer to mentors. Just pencil that word in. Godly mentors. Seeking them out. Asking someone to come alongside you and help you grow in your walk with Christ. And then number four, drawing in others. Just write the word people. Drawing in other people who need to know God, who need to know His love, who need a family to be a part of. Wouldn't that be awesome if God used us to do that? And He is using us to do that but even more. And we'll explore these in more depth uh, in the remainder of this series. Bow your heads with me, would you? And let me pray for you now. I'm asking you to begin right now just preparing your heart to partake of communion. Think about this. I talked about people who serve as role models for us of a deep life that's rooted and grounded. We should not forget that the ultimate example of a rooted and grounded person is Jesus. Rooted in his Father's unconditional love for him, grounded in the knowledge that he was sent here on a mission to accomplish the will of his Father. And armed with that knowledge, Jesus our Lord set out with his face set like a flint towards Jerusalem, resolved in his heart, to endure unspeakable indignities and suffering, all for the sake of love. Deep love for his Father 
and yes, deep love for us to pay the ransom price in blood to free us from sin slavery. And so, precious Lord, we come now as your people before you, preparing to partake of your table. And as we come in just a moment and take that little wafer that represents the crushed and broken body of Jesus for us, as we dip it into the cup of juice that represents his blood streaming down that cross, make us eternally grateful once again for your great love for us. And may we come away from the table this morning more deeply rooted and grounded in your love because you have met us in a special way. I pray in Jesus' name.